0: From somewhere deep in the cloud, and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast, with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT,
1: with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 192 of the Killing It It Podcast. Boy, you guys are, like, perfect there. See, we are
2: we are as polished as can be as we get ready to, uh, you know, like wrap up all of our stuff and go out for a couple of days of holiday.
0: Come on. Through the magic of editing, we're always perfect. (laughs) 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 That always gets the listeners.
1: Sometimes you you start perfect.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) All right. We're going to have a little fun. What's the most ridiculous excuse you used to get out of something and it was successful?
1: I, you know, I question the premise that I actually try to get out of things. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but I will say, I enjoyed having young children who I could always say, oh, I totally got to take my daughter to gymnastics. Like, that was a legit excuse that, uh, you know, obviously I can orchestrate the universe, but I could also choose to just take my kids to various things, and it's a legit excuse, and uh, it was quite handy back in the day.
2: See, Carl, I, I will go right down that theme. I think that the most, effective Effective excuse I have ever had has been my children. Now, you know, when you when you trade sleep and 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 money and all of that to raise children and, and whatever, there has to be a silver lining. You, you just have to know how to use it ethically and effectively. I will say, Dave, the most successful one ever when I was in uh, university, right? I, I had a great big term paper, final exam, all of this stuff that was coming out and I had a child who was born right before that, and it, it was it was not that I was going to be prepared except for the birth of the I was nowhere near prepared. I was never, ever going to be on time, but hey, that, that child came into this world at precisely the right time, and, uh, and I got to call the professor and be like, uh, and I got like two extra weeks, and Everything worked out beautifully, and uh, you know that, that that these children are always good luck. You just got to know how to use it to your advantage.
0: See, I have right, never had kids, so I don't have I've never had the easy one like that. And I will admit, I actually the, what I was thinking about this is like I've never had any ridiculous excuses work, like they never ever work. So so actually, I learned a long time ago that the simple answer is is don't give a reason. So so there there's an element of. Lying never works, right? And on top of that, you have to remember it, right? Like, remember it and keep saying, so actually, not giving a reason is by far the way this I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do that. What I, I'm just sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> and don't even give space, you don't give room for argument. You just like don't,
1: you, you, you,
0: and, and then if it pushes, like, there's personal reasons, and you don't go any further than that. So, there's right?
1: actual research, and it might be Kahneman. Uh, about how if you give any excuse, no matter how lame, you're more likely to get people to go along with you. And their, their research was around like cutting in line where people who wanted to cut in line, they would go like all the way to the front of the line. They go, I'm sorry, I, I have to get in here really quick. I mean, oh, okay, yeah, by all means. It's like, well, that's not really an excuse. <laughs> right, it's not really an excuse.
0: But that's always been sort of my strategy on this is that you don't, just a lie, but like also don't give a lot of detail, like just no details or just, and just, Push forward, uh, Although, and do it politely, uh, and you're generally going to be okay.
2: <laughs> See, I think that's a, that's very good advice that I can learn from. I'm a notorious over explainer. I want to tell people exactly why and where we know and, that. and where and I, yeah. you know, <laughs> nobody here is surprised by that. But uh, I, I, I tend to give too much detail, and then people are like, "Dude, I didn't I didn't need to know about all of that. I was going to say yes anyway." I will say, I live in envy of these people who say, oh, I got out of a speeding ticket. I got out of this. I, I, I got the late fee rescinded on that or whatever. I, I look at that and I think, well, who are you and how do you navigate this world? Because I have never actually been able to get out of a speeding ticket. I don't get them often, right? Now, I will say, I am I, I, fortunate, knock on wood, I don't get a lot. But I've never, ever, ever given an explanation that they went, oh, yeah, cool. Just- uh,
0: Ryan, a story for another day. Live in the South, and money makes that problem go away. <laughs> that is Ooh. a story for another day. Indeed. <laughs> I bet you think working with Cisco is hard. They're big, have so much going on, and you're smaller. That's why they're Cisco Partner Journeys, an innovative new digital experience designed to accelerate your engagement with Cisco. Each unique journey leads you to the best tools, services, programs, and portfolio offerings to help you accelerate sales, build a practice, and enhance profitability. Whether you are new to Cisco or a longtime partner, Cisco has the right journey for you. Interested? Visit ciscopartnerjourneys.com to find out more. I'll launch us out with the first topic of the day. The FCC has published their initial draft of their revised high-speed internet coverage maps. The old ones were census block based. The new ones are more are based more on detailed information from the providers. The old system, it was marked difficulty and, and was marked as served, even if there was only one provider of broadband. And now they've made them available and they are looking for comments. Gents, what's your reaction
1: here? Obviously, this is well overdue. Uh, and just one note: I put a link in the show notes. Uh, I put a link to the site, but I also put a link to the the actual search and zoom, where it takes a little poking around to figure out how to get in. But if you keep zooming in more and more and more, what looks solid becomes uh, areas where there are some gaps, and that's kind of the issue. Is like the the map is now more detailed, and so those areas with gaps are much more detailed than they used to be and you know it's it's a a huge thing because if we're going to uh, pay people like all of our listeners uh, to install broadband in these remote locations we got we got to know who's underserved and the government also has kind of unrelated to this grants available for you to do that work so this is a huge step in the right direction we've sort of wind about this topic on and off for three years. So it's it's nice to see one step in the right direction. Doesn't mean there's any more coverage. We just are more aware of what coverage we don't have. See, that's exactly the point, Carl. We
2: didn't get better coverage. We just got better information about where we do and do not have it. And the picture contrary to the interests of your friendly cell phone service provider is not nearly as pretty as the more block level uh, census based activity report was um there are very many places that were covered that had a single household and I think that it's high time in a in a Google Maps, Apple Maps-based world where we can zoom right in, and you know you can see a picture of your shiny noggin on on Google Maps if you if you go to the to the satellite view. Like that's the expectation that we have as not only consumers but as service providers. We need to know exactly where there is service, exactly where there is not service. And the story is not nearly as positive as the marketing spin that your friendly cell phone service provider has been selling to you. In fact, there are many places, you know, we've all lived this, right? Last year, 5G, ultra wideband, or mid band, all of that came out and everybody went, woohoo, it's going to change the world. And then very few people got access to it and the rollout was not nearly as smooth and airports are still complaining about that. I think once we dig in, this is where a solution provider can actually do a job. You have customers who say, I'm totally covered by XYZ service provider. I'm fine. I don't need redundancy. I don't need an additional access line. I don't need any of that stuff. I will tell you one of the most tactical well-received solutions that we've seen solution providers doing, a wireless-enabled 4G LTE access point that can be attached to a car, to a to a police vehicle, to a school bus, to anybody's home, right, wherever they are. Not that we're saying that 4G is effective, but it's better than no connectivity. And in a world where we don't get what we're promised in terms of service quality, It's amazing how many customers are willing to go, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, A little failover would be a good idea. This map is an excellent step in the right direction. I have to
0: laugh. Did did everyone just go to the map and put in their home address like I did? (laughs) Isn't that what everybody does with these maps? Yes. Look, this coupled with the fact that they're now putting out broadband labels, the standardized labels rules have now also been set. So the broadband provider has to show that to you at the point of sale now and and make it available to you and and show you these things and it's machine readable and it's scannable like okay cool we're now getting to the point where we can actually make decisions about it Ryan I'm gonna acknowledge you're, you're exactly right on the why I think this is interesting if you're in services this is the kind of stuff you need to know to be consulting with clients this also has all kinds of usefulness for moving for relocation for services all of those kinds of things I will also say like for me I like, providing data in this method from an independent, uh, generally government source to audit this kind of thing, because it can spur competition, when you can actually identify, like these are spaces we could move into, there is where this is underserved, and it gives us the data to spend and invest, like for the same reason, by the way, that you would spend and invest in roads and trains and electrical systems like this. For me, this is a modern utility that we have to manage and show we are managing it in exactly the same way. It's why I'm very enthusiastic by this to be able to see not only where there is com- competition, but where there needs to be competition and maybe we invest to create it.
1: I hope that these maps are updated on a regular basis because I mean the source here is the uh, IT providers, right? It's, it's the internet providers and they have always had access to this data, right? If you're a reseller of connectivity, there are places that you go because you pay for it and you connect to where everybody is and you put in an address and you get the perfect data. Um, this will get out, begin to be outdated in 20 minutes, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it needs to be updated on a regular basis. I will also say a bit of a sad note uh, to close out, and that is the people who will get the connectivity first are the wealthiest people in the little white dots. Uh, you know I mean if you think about it, like up above Beverly Hills into the actual Santa Monica Hills, there's a whole bunch of actors and actresses with all the money in the world and no connectivity right so oh. they're going to the <laughs> ones to say hey uh, I want to call my MSP and say go get one of them grants and uh, and hook me up so <laughs> <laughs> and again, the rich get richer and that's
2: always going to be the case. But at least now you can hold your, uh, your mega service provider more accountable for whether or not they cover.
0: For an innovative provider, there are grants and investment money to build, to, to help build on this. Like, if there, there, is, there is actual business opportunity for those that want to build this out and think this isn't a big deal, I actually know a guy, like a, a provider, a peer group member, who helped build fiber in his town and then sold that resource to a, resource to a larger provider. It is something that is doable.
2: Yep, absolutely real stuff out there uh let's move on to topic number two guys uh an update if you will on the rolling thunder of layoffs that are ruining the technology (laughs) industry I, i i over dramatize for the sake of illustration because what we're starting to see now is as we had predicted a couple of weeks ago when we were first talking about this While vendor A, B, and C are laying off thousands of individuals, vendors D, E, and F are starting to actually absorb those capacities and bring those engineers on, um, I think that what we're starting to see will be an interesting pattern of the people who overhired and the people who were a little bit more measured. But we're linking to a couple of resources here in the show notes that we wanted to use to highlight. Um, on while, while Meta announced many thousands of layoffs, the folks over at TikTok have announced specifically that they're going to be hiring 3,000 new engineers and they've set up a special page where those who have just been recently laid off can go and get reabsorbed even before they are out of their severance packages so uh the question that i have for you guys is you know a what do you expect to see in the labor trends as we go towards the end of the year and b um are we okay with the fact that the winner in this situation is going to be tiktok
0: look i'm going to wait in for, i'll wait in first like and I, i've said this publicly on my show i even said it to channel futures recently uh, I think the noise about tech layoffs is distraction and noise for most who are dealing with anything around technology delivery to other businesses. I have no indication to sh- to show that this is anything other than generally software companies or companies in other businesses. Uber's a transportation company. Meta is a social media company who made bad calls about their industry, got Overhired and are now responding to market conditions. If you're in tech services, this is just more people you can hire now that are that are becoming available. You can be flexible. You can hire anywhere. Uh, I don't. And and I just reported uh, on my show that there are actually signs that businesses, general businesses, are not slowing down on their capital expenditure investments either. They are nervous, right? CEOs are saying, sending all the signals that they are nervous, but nobody's changing their spending, right? So this is—you put the two together, and you're like, ooh, maybe they're nervous, but they're not changing their plans, and we have no indication that they're slowing down. If you're in tech services, I would say, like, look, choppy uh, road ahead, choppy, uh, you know, choppy waters ahead, but be careful. Don't. Be too aggressive, but don't anticipate everything is all drying up.
1: I agree completely. The, you know, just a few weeks ago, we reported about the the expectation of adding 100,000 jobs a month for this month and next month. So, you know, the, the growth is real and it's broad based. So the other thing is, and this sort of follows on what Dave was just saying, a lot of these companies that with, that are making the headlines, they're laying off all kinds of people in delivery services and front office and sales and those aren't technical jobs. So even though the, the media like to say that Facebook is a tech company, well, I mean, it's a tech driven company, but fundamentally, you know, it's not like it's a uh, thousand it's engineers who are being laid off. <laughs> they are keeping the engineers. They're getting rid of the people who uh, they don't need. Right, and, and Amazon is the same way. And, you know, again, as we're recording, the, between when we record this and when it airs, Amazon will announce that they're hiring whatever, many, many thousands of people for the Christmas season. None of those are going to be engineers. So they, on, on either side of the equation, right, you have to be really clear about when it's actual people in our industry who are gaining or losing jobs. And I think uh, job growth is, Going to continue for the foreseeable future.
2: Absolutely. Right now, we all remember the uh, the old cliche, you know, a rising tide will lift all boats, and everybody will get reasonably equal growth out of a positive economy. But as Warren Buffett was famous for saying, it's only when the tide goes out that you can see who has been swimming naked. Um, the idea here is there's a lot of people who may just fundamentally incorrect business decisions. These are not failures of technology, this is not a contraction of the marketplace, it's not any indication that the underlying technologies that are in question are not successful and customers do not want to pay for them. What it means is I hired 3,000 when I should have only hired 1,000 and so now I have to do the arithmetic and X out 2,000 headcount. There's a, I I would argue that there is, in addition to the shift economically one of the positive side effects of this is a recentering of the conversation on business fundamentals, right? Um, there I, I was reading this week a, a lot about the idea of it's the end of the era of the infallible tech god. The guy who was such a genius that he could make no mistakes and by the way, did you see his net worth? and and that's the only scoreboard that indicates that he is in fact more of a genius than the rest of us. And one by one by one, what we are learning about these folks is to have a great idea is good, but to be able to run a business around that idea is a completely separate idea, and you need to be good at this stuff, right? Inside the mechanics of doing math on your business model and figuring out the required headcount, there there, there are correct answers and there are right formulas. And as Dave said, the service providers and the solution providers in our world you don't have the luxury of just willy-nilly hiring 50 people and seeing if it works out. You're going to make a business case. And I would argue right now, we need to be more assertive, more confident in hiring in the next two years than the solution providers were in the last two years. And I think that the economics will eventually prove that out. There's still 600,000 plus empty cybersecurity jobs in North America. There are still 1.2 million empty and available today tech jobs that are beyond cybersecurity just in North America. We need humans, and we need to get better at it. And by the way, guys, I just want to point out a particularly delicious piece of irony. What you do versus how you do is a theme we keep coming back to. Uh, There was a, a, a story going around about how the CTO at Meta was complaining, ranting even internally about a, uh, a trend that he sees of employees going to the blind platform, a resource where you can go and anonymously complain about your employer and your manager and whatnot. Um, he was complaining because it was all negative stories and there was no positive stories and if you get hooked on that, it's just a continuous feed and actually, you shouldn't not go there because of my interest, it's because it's going to harm your mental health. Um, I thought the fact that the guys from Facebook observing that a continuous feed of negative stories might harm somebody's finance, that might be the single most delicious piece of irony of all of 2020. That's pretty good. It's a Christmas yeah.
1: gift for you yeah. right in time. <laughs> right in time. Now, I,
0: I, by the way, I will also observe, because we didn't haven't said it, and it's important to note, the last two major recessions have seen an increase in the number of IT services companies created. Have every expectation, if that there is a downturn, that there will actually be more providers on the other side of that, not less. There's always churn in the in the space. We talk about 10% or roughly of the market always churning and coming and going. Uh, but expect, during downtime, some of those laid-off, quote-unquote, laid-off people, uh, depending on what their role are and the technology and such, will become IT services companies.
1: Right. Well, and not only that, but just as a perennial story, just like turkey recipes, <laughs> Uh, we're going to see stories about tremendous businesses that were started in a recession. So, there you go. That's next. And, because,
2: you know, they, I don't know, they do this funny thing called focusing on the bottom line and building a business case.
0: Imagine that. It's crazy. It's such a novel idea. Well, you know, people, this is
1: crazy. Crazy talk. So, enough of that. Let's move on. Topic three. Should the federal government provide cybersecurity insurance? This is an interesting thing that, Basically, the uh, CISA, who you've all heard about, the Cybersecurity uh, um, uh, Infrastructure uh, Security Agency, yeah, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, yeah, uh, has been put out a request for comments on rules and regulations to work with insurance companies to build up a set of rules and have a, a system where Uh, If you follow certain rules and regulations, you'll be eligible for federally funded or federally assisted insurance policies, similar to flood insurance and other things. Basically, the idea is that if there is a catastrophic event that is across industries, across states and potentially across time, uh, there should be some federal response of pumping a bunch of money into that similar to Uh, the cybersecurity and and other security changes that came after September 11th, right? So is it too much? Is it too little? Is it too late? Uh, Is it obviously something we need? Or is this just another opportunity for uh, a bunch of uh, prisoners in various states to... uh, somehow managed to get all of the federal funds while uh, the rest of us uh, don't Yes, get it's a brilliant <laughs> idea next topic. Uh,
0: so but you know like and this is one of those areas where I'm I'm going to sort of smile and go, yeah, the government's kind of good at some of this by the way everyone. Like they're really Remember the FDIC? Like there's a reason, right? It controls certain extreme conditions around banking. You know, we we have organizations like FEMA that come in to deal with certain very catastrophic situations there feels like there could be a good group and by the way you know i'm gonna dance close to healthcare. care government's a large health care provider and ever talk to an old person on medicare medicare love it right they all love it heaven forbid you touch any of that they will get very angry at you so there's some some track record of them knowing how to handle certain extreme cases i like that as a as a market pusher because this is also as i've talked a lot about this is not necessarily something that cybersecurity companies are actually motivated to fully eliminate, right? They are motivated by selling tools and, and products, the insurers a little differently, but the cybersecurity market has some conflicting motivations financially. I'm okay with the government waiting in and going, you know, we're gonna cover certain, certain absolutely disastrous situations, Provided there are certain baselines, you can't just, you know, not care and do any protection, but we are going to handle certain nation state incidents or, or certain, you know, major breaches. I think this is a good idea.
2: See, I, I would agree it's a very good idea and it is a very effective leveling mechanism, right? I I think that as an industry, we've been talking about cybersecurity for 25, 30 years and saying, no, no, this is really serious. It could cause a problem. And some people took it seriously and other people did not. There comes a point where if you do not do A, B, C, fundamental things in your cybersecurity, it's no longer, uh, oh, gee, I was hacked, I was attacked, the bad guys are the bad guys. That, that's malpractice. That's, that's irresponsible behavior like building on an eroding beach and, and putting a home in a place that you know it's not going to be safe or building on a fault line or doing whatever. It brings us to a leveling expectation that says, we believe that certain fundamental cybersecurity related behaviors are necessary and good for everyone. I, I think it's fascinating. If you guys look at the speed of evolution in the cybersecurity industry in, around the topic of insurance. Right, um, Three years ago, cyber insurance was, it was new, it was cutting edge, and just about anybody could get a policy if you could convince them that there was a financial case. Today, it is very difficult to qualify for cyber insurance because the providers have been paying out too much. Their, their loss rates, their payout rates are breaking all of their uninformed actuarial tables and they are getting killed. Financially, because people aren't doing the fundamentals. So the expectation is ratcheting up, and you're going to see what was a free for all anybody can get insurance is now going to become nobody qualifies for insurance unless you are absolutely, positively, perfectly covered in cybersecurity. Well, that's not reasonable. Nobody can meet that standard. That's exactly where the government can come in and say, Here's a platform. Let's normalize our expectations and give confidence, not only to the customer who can get paid, but also to the providers who can logically provide the protection in there. The cowboy marketplace of no expectations to all expectations, that can't possibly sustain. I think cyber insurance is a good thing. But I think it needs to have a platform of just, we're not going to entirely wipe out an industry of financial providers because somebody didn't pay attention to the latest zero-day threat, right? Like, this is a good thing, and the best thing that will come from
1: it is a stable platform of predictable actuarial tables. And just so you know where we are in the process, the the comments, you, anybody listening to this can put in comments uh, for the next couple of weeks and it will inform the, uh, the government agencies that are putting this together about their report to Congress. So, you know, if you actually have ever wanted to have an opportunity to influence something that actually matters to your industry, this is a step in the right direction. I will say that one of the things that insurance can do is, is basically force, not the IT service providers, but the end user customers finally take this seriously like okay so you're you've never been hacked okay good for you so you're not convinced that you need security but your insurance rates will go up significantly if you don't do these things the insurance industry is actually a better motivator of this uh, appropriate behavior uh than either the government or the it service providers right it's sort of like you know you can see your insurance policy and you know, a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars in the right place is pretty motivating to a small business.
0: Yeah. And, and like and I like I like a system where you come in with some minimum standards, right? This is that's kind of what what we're missing. Uh, you know, and, and I, I'll put on my proconsulator hat and say, like, look, I've been talking about regulation coming for ages. Here you go, everybody. This is how it happens, right? They put they attach programs with dollars to requirements. This is how it happens. If you are upset about it, you have the opportunity to comment. This is how you contribute to that. If you don't, then the only thing that happens is you get ignored, right? If you want to, if you want to, we'll submit this podcast, you know, and, and submit our opinions that way. But. That's how you do it. You have to speak up as industry experts and talk about the things you're concerned about, the issues you're worried about. Give the feedback now because this is what those regulators are looking for.
2: Absolutely. And to put this into starkly commercial terms, I agree with Carl completely. The the regulations are... they're kind of generic, they're general, they're soft, and nobody believes in the enforcement. But the tangible reality of your monthly or quarterly payment for insurance premiums motivates behavior. And if you look for any good example we are notoriously not good at doing what's in our own best interest in terms of healthy behaviors. And yet when your employer gets a note from their insurance provider that their health insurance premiums are going to double because all of the employees are sedentary and unhealthy and and they have too many risk factors, uh, suddenly we have employee wellness programs and you get paid prizes for competing in a fitness challenge. And we can even get Americans off the couch to do exercise just strictly by the commercial component of insurance premiums. That is exactly what this will bring to the world of cyber insurance. And if you're a solution provider, this is the A number one sales pitch that will get you into a conversation with people who have previously said, nah, I don't don't need any cyber insurance. I think I'm fine. This about to get you not only the insurance opportunity, but all of that remediation
1: and services behind it, it's going to be a fantastic selling pitch. Final note on this, I'm my main concern with this is that it will apply to medium, large, and extra large companies and not be effective in the small business world. So I don't think our job will be done <laughs> December 11th.
0: Well, it's never done, right? That's how we that's how you continue to iterate at this. Right. But speak up and and try and talk cuz SMBs are a big portion of this market.
1: Happily, that will do it for episode 192 of the Killing It Killing, Killing It podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes,
0: Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.